Hello, everybody, and welcome to Die Trying, your favorite Michigan podcast. I'm your host, Danny Mogo, and today we're going to have a special guest on, Michael Cohen, who covers Michigan football as well as basketball for the Detroit Free Press. We're going to talk a little bit about his first season covering the Wolverines, what he expected and what he actually found, his thoughts on Mike McDonald, defensive coordinator, and what he brings to the table, some analysis on the injuries and who he expects to be ready to go, as well as his concerns for the team moving forward, some insights on the Maryland game and what we might be able to gloss from that. I think this was a really, really great spot. I learned a lot more than I typically do during an interview, and and maybe I should be learning more when I do other interviews. Maybe that's on me, but I found myself grabbing pencil and jotting down notes phenomenal spot with Michael Cohen from the Detroit Free Press. But before we get to that, I just want to give a few takes of my own from the Michigan game, their 21-17 win over Penn State. One, I think, which the the final score doesn't really indicate how dominant the Wolverines were in this game. Neither does the overall yardage total in terms of 361 to 332, but the yards per play 5.2 to 3.9 is kind of what I felt offensively. I think it was another feather in the cap of Cade McNamara showing that he can handle a tough atmosphere, showing that he can handle uh, playing against an elite defense, and Penn State is an elite defense, arguably as good a defense as any in the Big Ten, probably the best secondary in the Big Ten, definitely a top 10 defense, in my opinion. A defense that, going into this game, had not allowed more than two touchdowns in any game. That includes playing Ohio State and their trio of All-American caliber receivers. Buckeyes only managed two touchdowns against this Penn State defense. Michigan scored three, and all three went through the air. I don't think anybody would have thought that about a month ago. We'll find out more about him in, in nine days but I think he's given us at least reason to believe he could be the guy. So far, every time he's had a test, he's pretty much passed it. He's definitely exceeded most people's expectations. The passing game overall, not just him, is coming along. Ideally, would have somebody emerged to have been the number one guy to take that Ronnie Bell role? Ideally, yes. No one has, but we've seen multiple people step up in terms of guys who could be counted upon, who can make plays, who can make winning plays. We saw the true freshman, Andrell Anthony, do it against Michigan State, where he went over 150 yards, had a few touchdown catches. Eric All had his breakout game on the same day where he nearly went for 100 yards, and we saw All back it up again with Penn State. He had the 47-yard touchdown grab to win the game. When in between those two games, when all did not play, Luke Schoonmaker had a pair of red zone touchdown catches. This week, it was Ramon Wilson who stepped up to have two touchdown catches. And of course, Cornelius Johnson has been a player. He had a big game, over 100 yards against Indiana. Between those four or five guys, there's reason to believe that two or three will step up and perform well on any given Saturday. Of course, the biggest given is Hassan Haskins at running back, who had another monster effort, over 200 all-purpose yards, 156 on the ground, 45 through the air. A lot of key completions there, including a a big third and long conversion. 
He showed his ability to make yards after the catch, 41 yards of his coming after the catch out of those 45. Now defensively, on the other side of the ball, they did a phenomenal job shutting down what Penn State does well, and that's throw the ball and get the ball to Jahan Dotson. Sean Clifford, the week before, had 363 yards, was sacked only three times on 47 dropbacks, 50 dropbacks if you count the sacks, 7.7 yards per pass. You could say, ah, oh, that's Maryland, though. Fine, let's go back a week further. Against Ohio State, 361 yards, was sacked four times, which was a season high going into the Michigan game, 7.2 yards per pass. Against Michigan, he managed only 205 yards. In 50 dropbacks, was sacked seven times. Average only 4.8 yards per pass attempt. The numbers are even more stark with Jahan Dotson. He had 11 catches and 11 catches against both Maryland and Michigan State. And you can say, well, he had nine against Michigan. It wasn't that far off. Sure, but he had 127 yards against Ohio State. He had 242 against Maryland. Against Michigan, it was only 61 yards, only 6.8 yards per reception, which is unheard of for that kind of volume, for that kind of talented receiver. And digging even a little deeper, 16 targets, that's only 3.6 yards per target to Jahan Dotson. Michigan turned throwing the ball to Jahan Dotson to basically being Rutgers offense on Saturday. That's how good they were in stopping him. And that was a combination of both scheme and personnel development, in my opinion. And, and that's a, a lot of a lot to me. This is kind of like an ode to Mike McDonald. We've seen player development. We've seen scheme creativity tailored to the opponent. We've seen adjustments made within his own scheme and base defenses. So Aiden Hutchinson, obviously, this guy was a stud. We knew he was going to be a stud going into the year. He had three sacks on Saturday. Ajabo added two. Talk about the player development and the jump David Ajabo has made in one season. Early on in the year, he was sharing the job with Upshaw. Now the duo are the best pass rushing duo in the country. DJ Turner is another guy that's gone from being the number three corner to now he looks like he is Michigan's maybe top cover guy in man-to-man coverage. So we've seen that development in the season. How about youngsters? How about the development of youngsters? Junior Colson, 12 tackles against Penn State, a team high, including half a sack. Moore, the safety, another true freshman, a key part of that scheme to shut down Jahan Dotson, bracketing him with a man with a corner and the safety over the top. Moore was often that guy as the safety over the top to prevent the big play. And then there's the adjustment. Michael Barrett, the Viper position gone from this defense. Michael Barrett's role much diminished. It looked like he was going to be a special teams player. He seemed like an afterthought in terms of his ability to contribute to the defense. But after that Michigan State game, where clearly handling offenses that were in hurry-up mode that did not give the defense neither the time nor the inclination to substitute by substituting themselves, meaning that when the offense substitutes, regardless of how quickly they get to the line of scrimmage and want to rush, the referee is going to slow down the game now to allow the defense to counter and substitute. That was a problem against Michigan State, and how do you correct that? Well, with a hybrid-type player. We were not ready for this. We didn't handle this well. How can we handle it better? What can we do differently? What can we do better? Okay, we have a guy. Hey, we have a guy who's versatile, whose strength is his versatility. 
And that's what they've done. So Barrett's role has grown over the past couple of games. And he had two tackles for a loss and a sack. So, you know, those points on defense, I think, are, are so key. It's that individual development, the scheme, and the ability to change. The, the ability to develop as a coach. That's something we didn't really get with the previous regime. We knew what Don Brown was going to do. And at times he was dominant. But if it didn't work, he really didn't have a, a plan B. So it appears Mike McDonald does have a plan B. And that does give you reason to be optimistic about the Michigan Wolverines moving forward. And joining us now on the podcast is Michael Cohen, who covers Michigan football as well as basketball for the Detroit Free Press one of the best in the business, very accomplished at a young age, and I think an excellent addition to the uh, Detroit Free Press as well as the Michigan Beat. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Michael. How are things going? Things are going well. Thank you very much. I appreciate that kind introduction, and uh, I'll do my best to, to live up to it in my, uh, my future coverage here at the Free Press. There you go. You know, setting the bar high, right? Exactly, exactly. So this is your first year uh covering the beat how, how has that been yeah it's been a lot of fun so far um you know I hadn't covered college sports since about 2015 2014 somewhere in there uh prior to that excuse me after that I had been covering the NFL mostly um I was covering the Packers for four seasons in Green Bay and um and so that was a, a an interesting change to come back to the college college ranks and um and it's been really fun i've liked it a lot um it's it's kind of cool to to be back in that game day atmosphere with the pageantry of the band and the student section and you know visiting campuses and things like that it's really cool um and you know obviously having two athletic programs like michigan football and michigan basketball being ranked as highly as they are right now in both sports it makes it a lot of fun both from a variety standpoint and in terms of uh volume of of readership so it's been uh it's been really fun i've liked it so far yeah, it's definitely a, a, a you know a better year to have started than last season. Let's say, in comparison, um, did you know there was not a lot of hope for this team going into the season? So did did you find a better football team than you expected? Yeah, I really did. Um, you know, to get ready for this job, and and for people who may not know, I started on August thirtieth, so that was four or five days before the season opener against Western Michigan. Um, but to get ready, I, I tried to watch a little bit of film from last season. I think of the six games I watched about three and a half. And, uh, and you know, certainly what I saw last year was a football team that wasn't very good, as you alluded to. And this year, it's, it's definitely different. Uh, Cade McNamara is a better overall player than I expected. And by overall player, I mean leader. I mean tough guy. I mean actual football player. I mean all those different things that go into um, having success or not having success at the quarterback position. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I didn't expect Mike McDonald's influence to be as profound as it has been. Not to say that I didn't think he was a good coach, but what I mean by that is I didn't think he would be able to um, make chicken salad out of chicken, you know what, as the saying goes, because there wasn't a ton of talent at certain positions on this defense. Obviously, Aiden Hutchinson was always going to be a potential first round pick coming into this season. Obviously, Dax Hill uh, had a lot of notoriety for what he has done and, and the, the recruiting pedigree that he had. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of 
new faces at the cornerback position. There weren't a lot of new faces at the inside linebacker position. There weren't a lot of new faces along the interior defensive line. And, and so I think for McDonald to have, um, you know, to kind of use the metaphor of, of wringing out a towel, I think he's, he's wrung out just about every drop of talent that this defense has. And, and he deserves a lot of credit for that because there are coaches who are really good at X's and O's, but aren't so great at maximizing talent. And there are coaches who are really great at maximizing talent, but aren't the strongest with X's and O's. And at least so far, McDonald seems to have a nice blend of both. Yeah, that, that's a great review there of uh, D.C. Mike McDonald, and I was going to ask about him, so let's stick with him for a second. He was definitely one of the unknowns going into the season that has turned out to be a, a, a pretty nice positive. What well, you know, adding on to what you already talked about, what has impressed you the most with him? Is it is it the scheme part of things and his ability to – you know, let's say shut down a, a uh, Dahan Dotson, which you wrote about, you know, in terms of bracketing the guy, making an adjustment and making Michael Barrett a bigger part of the rotation when we kind of thought, well, his playing days are probably behind him in terms of being a key part of this defense. Or is it more so the development of players, the Ajabos, the Turners, the guys who, um, you know, hadn't done much for a couple of years uh, getting true freshmen like a junior Colson or a Moore uh, up to speed to be a key part of a defense that that could win a Big Ten title or or even to some extent just getting the most out of an Aiden Hutchinson, right? It's easy to say, well, he's a talented guy. I mean, Michigan has had really talented guys before, for example, like a Rayshon Gary. And it's always like, yeah, he's really good, but why isn't he doing more? Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of of everything that you just mentioned. Um, what's really impressed me is is his ability as a teacher. Um, and and okay. the reason I say that is because when you take an NFL defense and you apply it to college, you have to remember that some of these kids are one, two, two and a half years removed from playing defense in high school, which is generally your basic coverages, the same calls down in and down out, because there's just not the opportunity to teach the kind of schematic complexity, nor is there the type of intellectual maturity among a lot of the players to be able to handle something like that. So I was a little concerned that McDonald's scheme would be a little too, a little too complex, a little too have, have too much variety, um, have too much um, mental processing required of the players to succeed. Not that it wouldn't have been, I didn't think it was going to be a total flop or anything like that, but I kind of wondered if it would be one of those things where the first few weeks of the season might be a little bit ugly as players work through all of the, the variety and, and all of the multiple fronts and packages and things that McDonald wants to run. Um, but I think he's done an a, a, an excellent job and his staff deserves credit as well of teaching the things to the players in a way that has not only been effective, but has made them want to learn and, and are eager to learn more and are excited about the possibilities of their football IQ expanding under McDonald. And so I think that has kind of been the area that, that I've taken away as, as sort of like, wow, you know, this guy has, has done a really great job because it, it 
there was a lot of there were a lot of things that could have gone wrong for Mike McDonald coming down from the NFL, being a first year defensive coordinator, calling plays for the first time, inheriting a defense that outside of one or two players didn't have a ton of established talent. And yet he's he's kind of answered the call on on just about all of those. And uh, and I think it, it's a credit to um, a lot of different things about his personality. But the one that jumps out to me is his strength as a teacher in finding ways to effectively communicate his scheme to a group of guys uh, who, who have not really experienced the type of complexity that, that he's asking them to absorb. Well, I, I think Michigan should just uh, clip your answer there and just play that for every defensive recruit out there. You know, I mean, that, that sounds like the kind of program a defensive player, uh, a young defensive player would want to go to. Um, Michael, you talked about, uh, you, you wrote about um, Harbaugh's uh, evaluation of the game and, and the coach talked a lot about the championship qualities that they showed in their big win in Happy Valley against Penn State. Um, are you buying in? Well, I'm buying that. I'm buying it up until now. In other words, I think against the opponents that they've had to play in the situations they've been put in, I think they've answered the call. I think the the mental toughness of this team is better than I expected. I think the leadership of the senior players and upperclassmen, fifth-year seniors, some even sixth-year seniors, has been exemplary. I think that uh, has played a significant role in the buy-in and the cohesion of this group that probably wasn't evident in, in other Michigan teams in the Harbaugh era. But the real question is, can they do it against Ohio State? That's that's kind of we've reached a point in the season where as long as they don't completely lay an egg against Maryland, which I don't expect them to do, um, it, it's all come down to this final game. And and I don't I don't know if that's a totally fair thing to say, but because of how much they've overachieved this season, they've put themselves in a spot where the Ohio State game is the ultimate measuring stick because they've they've just about passed the majority of their tests. Now, obviously they lost to Michigan state. I know that obviously they allowed five rushing touchdowns to Kenneth Walker, the third. I know that it was the only real blemish on Mike McDonald's resume this year, but nobody expected them to be nine and one. And if they handle their business against Maryland again, which I expect them to do, nobody expected them to be 10 and one. And, and so they've, they've put themselves in a spot where basically they've accomplished everything they needed to accept beating one of the absolute best teams in the country. And, and so that's what they have to do. And if they come out on November 27th, I think it is, if they come out on the 27th and they, uh, and they get smoked, or if they come out on the 27th and, you know, they, they blow a big lead or, or something like that, that suggests a chink in the armor of, of their mental toughness, then the questions will resume again. Okay, yeah, they're a good team, but they're definitely not a great team. It'll be that type of a thing. And, you know, for Harbaugh, it's going to be a massive, massive moment. Um, I think he's done enough already to where he would have to really screw up the next two weeks, I think, to be let go by Ward Manuel uh, in the offseason. So I think in that regard, he probably feels a little more secure about his future than he did two, three months ago. But again, he's going to be judged by whether or not his potentially his best team ever at Michigan, you know, maybe not in terms of overall talent. I think the 16 team was, 
was one that people viewed as as really spectacular in that regard. But maybe the best overall team team that he's had is this one. And if this one still goes out and gets walloped by Ohio State, then then what does that say about really how far they've they've actually come in terms of the the grand scheme of college football's elite programs? So um, it's going to be really curious to see how they handle that environment, how they respond, and and that to me will be the true indication of whether or not the the championship quality stuff, the uh, mental toughness stuff, the culture change stuff is real, or if it's just a nice subplot in a season that, you know, was good, but fell short of being one of those great, memorable, all-time sort of campaigns. All right, let's focus on that game then, that, that you know, all, always pivotal game for this Michigan program. Um, let me ask it to you this way. If I had to, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your optimism meter for Michigan going into that game? In terms of them being competitive or them actually winning the game? Uh, them actually winning the game. Because I, I, I think, you know, ultimately, I, I think – where Harbaugh is being 0-5, I don't think uh, moral victories are going to count this year. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, In terms of them actually winning, boy, uh, I think I'd probably only pick them to win at most three out of ten times against Ohio State. So I don't think, you know, but but again, if you you use the other question that I posed to you, you know, what about them remaining competitive and not getting blown out? Well, I would go the other end of the spectrum and say they probably only get blown out two out of 10 times because I think that this defense with the pass rushers that they have, they can erase a lot of the potential flaws that there are in coverage that will be critical against an Ohio State team that has tremendous talent at wide receiver. Um, and I, I do think Hassan Haskins will find ways to grind out a few yards here and there, even if it's not as spectacular a performance as some of the ones we've seen lately. So I think the chances of them getting blown out are slim as well, but I just don't have a ton of faith that they can they can get over the hump. Um, a lot of things have to go right for them, but one of the things that they have as a huge advantage in any game is that their two pass rushers can can change a game with one snap. I mean, the defense can be the defense can give up a 70-yard drive and they can be at the five-yard line. The opposing team can be at the five-yard line after starting at the 25. And uh and if they have a sack fumble, you know, then that negates the 70 yards that they just gave up on what was almost a touchdown drive. So that's the big game changer to me. If Ohio State finds ways to relatively contain those guys, I don't think Michigan has any chance. But if Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo have played the way that they've played all season, which is basically no team being able to block them, or at least no team being able to block them for four quarters, um, then I think they have a, a great chance of hanging around and being involved. I just ultimately don't think there's enough in the passing game for them to to get it done, especially if they fall behind on the scoreboard. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, you hit upon it. I think those two guys could be a major difference in this game. And, and combined with, like you said, they probably would need a couple of bounces, which means – We've seen over the last few weeks a lot of, you know, sack fumbles, but they haven't been able to recover the fumble. So do they get that bounce? Does it bounce to a Michigan guy in terms of creating that turnover and not just a strip sack? 
Um, you so you talked about the the passing game maybe being uh, not up to par to beat a team like Ohio State. Is that a a holistic thing, or is it a, is it about the quarterback? Is it about the protection? Because we've seen some issues against Michigan State and Penn State where the offensive line hasn't held up. Is it is it the the lack of a stud receiver? What 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 do you think there is is the is the issue? So I think you can find small flaws at each of the position groups that you just named. Um, we spoke to offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis yesterday so that would be Wednesday since you and I are recording this on Thursday um, and and Gaddis talked about how the next two games against Maryland and Ohio State are going to be big challenges for the wide receivers because they're going to face more man coverage from those two teams than they've faced throughout much of the season so I had wondered from the beginning ever since Ronnie Bell went down whether or not this group of receivers was good enough to beat man coverage can they find ways to be successful enough with their releases to where any potential jams or, or any potential, um, you know, close coverage near the line of scrimmage, press coverage won't bother them. And, and I don't think we have an answer yet. I think Cornelius Johnson is probably the most likely to be able to beat man coverage, but I don't have a, a ton of optimism that some of the rest of the guys can. In terms of the offensive line, the one big area that they've had problems this season is with stunts and twists. And this originated in the game against Nebraska, where in the first half, Nebraska caused all kinds of problems with the games and twists that they ran up front. Um, the Michigan offensive linemen admitted that they struggled with that and said that they dedicated a huge chunk of the bye week to trying to improve in that area. Uh, but then against Indiana, those same issues came up again. And Indiana had a ton of success with stunts and twists and really um, really inflicted some damage on McNamara as he was going through those weeks where he was banged up and in and out of the medical tent. Um, so that would be an area where I would have concern um, against a team that has the pass rushing reputation and the pass rushing coaching that Ohio State does. And then at the quarterback position, you know, Cade McNamara has done some incredible things. He's led scoring drives on 51% of his possessions as the starting quarterback for Michigan, uh, which is a tremendous figure. But I still have a lot of problems with his accuracy. And I know people will say, well, his completion percentage is pretty good. And the answer is yes, it, it's not bad. But what I mean is there's so many throws over the course of a game, and, and you'll see it against Maryland because it happens every week, where when guys are on crossing patterns or guys are deep down the field, yes, he completes some of those throws, but the ball placement is wrong. You know, he'll have a crossing pattern. And instead of placing the ball a yard in front of the guy so that he can catch it and keep running, the ball is at the guy's hip so that he has to lose some momentum, lose some speed and make an adjustment to catch the ball. And so then instead of maybe getting eight or nine yards after the catch, he gets four or five yards after the catch. Or there's situations where, you know, they had a free play against uh, Penn State last week on an offside. And so that's a situation where the quarterback has to throw the ball downfield, take a chance, and if it gets intercepted, it doesn't matter because the defense jumped offside. Well, McNamara did throw the ball downfield, which is what he's supposed to do, but he threw it out of bounds. Andrew Anthony didn't even have a chance to try and make the play because the ball was out of bounds. That's a mistake that can't happen. You can't have an opportunity like that where there's a chance at free yardage and you don't keep the ball within the 53 and a third yards of the width of the field. And so there's little things like that that concern me about McNamara. I have no questions anymore 
about his toughness. I have no questions anymore about his um, his leadership. I have no questions about his ability to execute the offense efficiently in terms of getting the guys where they need to be, making the right checks and calls, all those types of stuff. It's just some of his technique things are, are off. And, and if you're off by a, a half yard here, a half yard there, this ball's too high, that ball's a little too low, you know, against the teams that they've played so far outside of Michigan State, that hasn't cost them at all. But against a team like Ohio State, they have to play close to a perfect game, as you and I agreed upon a few minutes ago. And, and that's where things, the little things like ball placement, accuracy, can you lead a guy instead of throwing the ball slightly behind him? Those are the things that are required to play a quote unquote perfect game. And, and I don't have a ton of faith that McNamara can do that based on what we've seen so far. He's a good quarterback, not a great quarterback, in my opinion. So that's a long answer uh, that goes to all the different position groups that you mentioned. But I think there are small areas of concern at all of them, none gaping, you know, massive, absolute, you know, uh, implosion ready things. But when you add them all together, if multiple uh, areas are exacerbated against Ohio State, that's when you start to see the problems. Hey, Michael, we, we don't mind long answers here on Die Trying. Uh, uh, before I do let you go, I, I think it's a prerequisite. We cannot talk Michigan football without bringing up J.J. McCarthy. Um, were you surprised he didn't play last week? And what do you expect to see? How much do you expect to see him in the next two weeks? I was surprised that he didn't play. I, um, I kind of thought that the coaches were going that, that they had they had uh, decided to die on the sword with that one. I thought that they had sort of dug themselves into a hole by saying they wanted to play him just about every week, this, that and the other. And I thought they were going to go with that. And if it ended up costing them games, so be it. They believed it was the best thing for the team and they were just going to stick with it. So. So, yes, uh, to answer the first part of that question, I was very surprised that he did not play against Penn State. That said, I now get the sense that he will not play much at all the next two weeks. Again, we spoke with Josh Gaddis on Wednesday, and Gaddis gave an unbelievable defense of Cade McNamara, not only in terms of what he's done so far, but as the starting quarterback and, and answering in a way that reflected a significant amount of distance between McNamara and McCarthy on the depth chart competition meter, if you want to call it that. He basically said that there has never, ever, ever this season even been a conversation about anyone else being QB1 aside from Cade McNamara, and uh, that there is there is no thought in a given week about whether or not they need to be delicate with playtime for McCarthy as it would relate to McNamara's confidence and ego, because McNamara has the full assurance that he is this team's starting quarterback. So that said, I do not expect to see much of J.J. McCarthy unless the game against Maryland ends up being a blowout in the second half. Um, right now, I think they're, they're going McNamara all the way because he's gotten them to this point and, uh, and he's going to guide them the rest of the year, whether that's good, bad, or ugly. Do you have any feel for uh, the injured players? I know Michigan, as most schools are, try to be as tight-lipped as possible, but there's you know, a bunch of guys, whether it's Corum or Green or Edwards, guys like All, Wilson, Anthony, Henning. You know, it's a, it's a pretty long list of guys who are banged up. Yeah, I think Corum is probably going to be out. Um, I don't know if he was healthy enough to where he would have a chance this weekend, but even if he was, 
it just doesn't really make sense in my mind to risk him knowing right. what game is coming up next week. So I kind of always thought since the injury that the Ohio State game was the one that they wanted to target for him to come back. And I, I still feel that way. Um, I still feel that way now. As for the other guys, um, I think Eric All and Andrew Anthony and A.J. Henning will, will all be fine um, on the defensive side of the ball. I thought Jamon Green's injury looked pretty serious when he came off the field based on what I saw and the concern from his twin brother, Jermon Green. Um, Harbaugh kind of poo-pooed that a little bit after the game and, and sort of hinted at the fact that the Green brothers tend to exaggerate their injuries. He was pretty sarcastic with his answer and said that he's never been around football players that heal faster than the Green brothers. And it came across as a as a shot at them saying like, well, they, they get hurt and then they're fine the next day, you know, that type of a thing. Um, But the fact that Jamon then did not travel to state college was an indication, I think of the severity of the injury. So I kind of get the sense that he will not be part of it uh, this weekend. Another reason I say that is because they brought freshman Rod Moore out to speak with the media. Now that's not always an indication of playing time, but generally with younger players, they only bring them out if they think that they, they, have a chance to be relevant uh, to the media's desires. And so, you know, the fact that Rod Moore spoke to us this week made me think that, you know, he could be a a part of the secondary going forward. Um, So, so we'll see, I haven't gotten any physical glimpses of Javon green, whereas I have seen Blake Corum. I have seen Eric all with my own two eyes this week. And so I, I kind of have a general idea of where they are. Obviously I haven't seen practice, but I mean, I've seen them physically walking around the building or the parking lot or whatever the case may be. Um, and then I think that's that's pretty much it. I think everybody else is in a decent spot. Um, but but yeah, I, I think Jamon Green and Blake Corum are the two that I would not expect to be available this weekend. But the other guys who are kind of day to day, I think they're all in a spot where where they should be fine. All right, Michael, one more before I let you go. I, I, I loved your uh, 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 little nugget about facing man coverage this week against Maryland as a test for the receivers, particularly going into the Ohio State game, flipping to the other side of the ball, facing Talia Tagliavoa uh, is arguably the best quarterback Michigan has faced this season. Um, Clearly, Maryland's receiving core, if they were at full strength, you could say maybe you could give them more of a test, but is there anything we can glean from how the defense performs against this Maryland offense move, you know, looking ahead to the Ohio state game? Well, one of the things about Mike McDonald's defense and where it came from with the Baltimore Ravens organization is that it's the type of system designed, not designed. That's the wrong word. It's the type of system whose complexity makes it extremely difficult for young quarterbacks to figure out. It's the type of defense where a veteran player is likely to to have much more success against it than a young player. And I know some people might say, well, isn't that the case in general with every defense? To some extent, yes. But what I mean by that is there's so much pre-snap movement. There's so many different packages that Mike McDonald uses. There's so much interchanging of position and disguising of coverages that it's the type of system that is far less predictable than than some of the other schemes out there. And predictability is not always a bad thing. If you think about what the Seattle Seahawks did with the Legion of Boom, everybody knew exactly what coverage they were going to be in every time. It was going to be cover three no matter what. They were just better at it than everybody else. So I don't want people to say that, you know, 
to make a blanket statement that defenses that have a ton of variety are automatically better than defenses that do not, because that's not always true. But what I mean is that for a young quarterback like Tagovailoa, who not only is extremely talented, but is also very eager to trust his arm strength and arm talent by throwing into windows that can be questionable or making decisions that are slightly unusual. Um, I would venture a guess that he could put up some decent yardage against this Michigan team, just based on how many times he's going to throw the ball. But I have some reservations about his efficacy against the defense that is going to move around so much. And, and the game that I point to is the Indiana game. Now I know that Tagovailoa is not a true freshman. He's not making his third start of his career or second start as Donovan McCulley was for Indiana, but you saw that McCulley was just helpless against that defense. He didn't know where to throw. He didn't know who was going to be in coverage, who was blitzing, who was dropping. And while Tagovailoa is older than that, he's a redshirt sophomore. Um, he's still pretty young. And, and I get the sense that he could struggle a little bit against this style of defense. Now, you know, to use a basketball phrase, he still may get his, he still may get his yards, but I think there will be some turnovers in there. I think there will be a sack fumble in there, something like that, that tilts the game and, and sort of puts a little bit of an asterisk on, on the remainder of his stat line for Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Indiana, it appeared to me, at least at the end of the game, they were just like, let's just hand the ball off. Cause we don't want to put this kid in, in either harm's way in terms of getting hit or just, uh, you know, losing his confidence by making a, another bad decision. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that will be the case at Maryland. I think right. they're still going to throw right. it because that's what they do. Um, but that just puts him into a situation where, you know, he can make, make the kind of mistakes that, that are difficult and, um, and so difficult to overcome, I should say. And so, so yes, I think, um, I think there's definitely things to be, weary of with this Maryland offense, given the explosive nature of, of, of the, the group and, and Tagovailoa having six 300 yard games and, um, you know, throwing for almost 1200 yards in the last three games alone. But ultimately he's a young player against a very complex defense or a defense that at least gives off the outward appearance of complexity, even if it's not that complicated for the players actually running it. Um, and so I, I think ultimately that will, will pose some problems. All right, Michael, thanks a lot for giving us uh, a lot of time this morning talking Michigan football. Uh, really appreciate it. Okay, before we wrap up this week's podcast, let me give you a few of my takes looking ahead to this game against Maryland, where the Michigan Wolverines are favored by about 15 points at most places, 14 and a half on some places. So, you know, if you have an inclination you may want to buy a half a point. Um, they're taking on a Maryland team whose defense is ranked 73rd in SP+. You know when the last time was Michigan faced a defense worse than Maryland's? That would be in week three against NIU of the MAC. Now, I'm not expecting the Wolverines to put up 63 points, but I would not be surprised if they set a new high in conference games this season and, and crack 40 points for the first time in a Big Ten game. Maryland is last in the Big Ten in scoring defense and conference play at 39.1 points per game. They have given up at least 31 points in each of their past six games. And folks, these numbers aren't just inflated because Ohio State put, you know, 60-something on them. We're talking about games against Iowa. 
against Minnesota, a team, you know, that, that got shut down by Illinois. And even Indiana, who we saw a week ago, is far from a juggernaut offense. That team put up 31 points the week before against Maryland. So, you know, it's it's this is not an impressive Maryland um, defense. They are 13th against both the run and the pass in Big Ten games. I don't see how they're going to slow down a Michigan offense that is 7th in scoring rate at 51.2%. The Wolverines are also 7th in stop rate at 77.7%, meaning stopping the other team from scoring. You know who's the only other team that's in the top 10 in both categories? The number one Georgia Bulldogs um, against the top four scoring defenses that Maryland has faced this season, which is Iowa, Ohio State, Minnesota, and Penn State. They've managed just 15.3 points per game with a high of 17 in all of those games. And, and, and all of those defenses are ranked below Michigan, both in SP plus and in just straight up scoring defense. This is a Terps team that is one-dimensional offensively. They're unable to run the football. They average just 2.9 yards per carry. I think that is a recipe for disaster going against this Michigan defense that just loves getting after the quarterback. Um, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo can just pin their ear backs and go after Talia Tagovaloa all game long. He is the only quarterback that has thrown double-digit interceptions in Big Ten games. He's got 10 and 7 conference games. At just 5'11", I don't think he's going to be able to withstand all the hits that Clifford did a week ago. Throw in, you know, Hutchinson's and Ajabo's in particular ability to force fumbles. It's hard to imagine the Wolverines don't create multiple turnovers um, our guest, uh, Michael Cohen, talked about the complex schemes that Michigan's defense can throw at a young quarterback, which he, you know, mentioned directly related to this game. And, you know, throw in the fact of uh, what I talked about in the top of the show with how difficult Sean Clifford had compared to other opponents. I, I, I don't think Talia is the guy that's just suddenly going to be able to throw the ball all over the field against this Michigan team that has really shut down every passing offense they've faced all season. And even if Maryland can move the ball a little bit through the air, which as I've said is a far from a given, they are only 123rd in red zone defense. So I, I really think, folks, that Michigan is going to win this game um, rather easily, rather comfortably. Uh, this Maryland offense is without, uh, you know, they've been without Dante Demas, their best player for a big chunk of this season. He was hurt in that Iowa game on Friday night. They also lost Ja'Shawn Jones. Last week, add to that freshman Marcus Fleming, who has been seeing more of the field and has been a bigger part of the offense. So really, out of their top four or five receivers, they're, they're, three of them are out. You know, Joaquin Jarrett is definitely somebody that's a dangerous player to keep an eye for an eye out for. But considering how they shut down Jahan Dotson, it's hard to imagine Jarrett suddenly going off against this uh, Michigan pass defense. All right, folks, that wraps up this episode of Die Trying. I hope you also listen to my other podcast, which can also be found on iTunes. That is the big podcast. 
Big Ten football show. We put it up a new episode yesterday with my man Lloyd Ribner, who joined me to talk about the Big Ten teams in the college football playoff rankings, as well as the division races. We took the we took a look at the teams that have been eliminated from bowl contention and kind of debated which was the most disappointing Big Ten team so far this season. Um, took a look at some of the potential surprise bowl teams and and gave a little handicap on which ones we thought would advance and make a bowl this year. Also, don't forget on Fridays, I post my uh, Big Bets podcast where I give out my picks against the spread as well as totals and team totals. And folks, I I gotta say, I'm not doing too shabby. It's not too bad. My record is 34-23-1 on my picks. I'm plus 15 units on the season. If you have not listened to my big bets pod, the way I do it is I give a big bet, a bigger bet, which is a full unit, the big bets half a unit, and then my biggest bet, which is typically one a week, and that's a double unit play. So I'm 8-3-1 on my biggest bets uh, uh, this season for plus 10 units. That's where we've made up most of the money. And then we'll be back Next week, with another episode of Die Trying, where Andrew Bailey of Mason Brew will be joining me to talk about the Maryland game and, of course, previewing the big game against Ohio State the Saturday after Thanksgiving, November 27th. All right, folks, thanks a lot for giving me some time. Great spot with the guest. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan at Dan the Big Man B1G Man for more updates on the show. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Go blue. No problem. Thanks, man.